Welcome to the Minted Dialogue Internet Show, show number 51. This interview is with an old friend of mine from our high school days in England, Roland Whitehead, who is CEO and founder of Kuru. Kuru is an IT services company specialized in Linux and other open source solutions and is the fastest growing Red Hat solution provider in the UK. In this conversation, Roland and I look at how companies can use open source to create apps and bespoke effective software solutions based on open source options. We also talk about the community of open source and the nefarious world of hackers, the Raspberry Pi, and more. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to quick. Enjoy the show. So welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show. Today I have an old friend way back from high school, if they say, uh, who uh, I reconnected with. And um, it's someone who has – he's got a, a new slant that I haven't addressed on this show, which is everything about open source. So can you tell us who you are and what you do? Uh, my name is Roland Whitehead. I run a company called Kuru. Uh, we were a development shop, but we're now an IT services shop, and we specialize in open source solutions, primarily for business, but we do do uh, um, business to customer uh, solutions, primarily for the business side. All right, so Kuru, uh, first of all, how do you spell it, and, and, and why Kuru? Um, Kuru is spelled Q-U-R-U. Uh, we... We're looking around for a company name when we formed in 2007, and uh, one of my uh, team uh, had an interest in the formation of words. And he had written a piece of code that you could pass in uh, a, a string, and it would look at the formation of the words in that string and would predict the most likely words to come out of it based on uh, letter pairings. We took the last chapter of Great Expectations, Dickens' great classic novel, and fed that in, and it produced a, a list of, of words. We'd also said that we wanted to ensure that the, whatever word came out was at least three characters long and had domains that were available, was pronounceable, and was not in the dictionary. So, oh, and the URL. Uh, yeah, the URL, the domain was available. So we went through this list of words and the first 10 or so were completely unpronounceable. The computer couldn't actually determine if it was pronounceable or not. So we went through this list of words and halfway down this list of words was this word Q-U-R-U. And we thought Kuru as in guru. And the domain was kind of available. The co-UK was immediately available. The .com was a lapsed domain. So another organization had been in existence, but it wasn't. Uh, it was a San Francisco-based uh, uh, company. We even sent someone to go and knock on their door to make sure that they were no longer in existence. The company had gone uh, into liquidation. 
and we just simply had to wait for the expiry and then we're able to secure the domain. Um, Kuru, that company was called Kuru because of the Quercus rubrica, which is the red oak, which is native to California. And Quercus rubrica has a, a biological code name, Q-U-R-U, and that's why they call themselves that. Um, so we didn't know that at the time we, we started. We found out afterwards. Um, we've also subsequently found out that um, the word Q-U-R-U appears in the Quran, and it's linked to uh, um, periods of mourning that a widow has to go through before she can remarry. Again, we had no idea that it was there when we, when we started. Well, it's like so many brands, um, you know, we, like take Apple, for example. You know, there's lore, and then there's a question of rewriting history, and in, the history is in the process of being written, I'm sure, with you, Roland. So listen, with, with Kuru, tell us a, a little bit about what you're providing in terms of so- service. As I said, we started off as a development company, so we would do contract development. So uh, a customer would come to us and say, could you develop something for us? It could be anything from a bespoke ERP solution through to a mobile phone solution. Um, We uh, have a good track record in producing cost-effective well-used solutions. So uh, from the two ends, uh, we uh, have an ERP solution that we developed for one of the major auction houses where it has been proved through uh, third-party studies that for a fraction of the cost of a package solution, uh, we have produced and implemented a solution that actually genuinely works for them, that they control, that they own, as opposed to getting in a package solution, spending a very large amount of money on specialist consultants to tailor it, and ending up with something that doesn't quite work. It nearly works, but doesn't quite work. And they then have to change their business to make it work with their systems. Right, and I think that's the kind of problem that a lot of companies are faced with. They, you know, which IT system, uh, platform shall I use? And then they get down in history or down in time, and then they realize that, oh, God, it's, it's not what I wanted. I need to adjust it. And then the kind of rewrites that happen are just monumental. And you end up sort of doing you know, twists of body, uh, body parts in, in order to accommodate the system, which has got things the wrong way around. Tell us how it exactly you operate. So give us a business case on how Kuru has helped a company using open source or, or your IT solutions. Can you give us a little bit more of an example that we can uh, latch on to? Um, we have a, 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 another end, another extreme. Uh, there is a, uh, a guide to restaurants uh, that's primarily London-based. And uh, they came to us to say, we would like a, a mobile phone app developed specifically for BlackBerry. And we looked at this issue and we said, well, we could just take your existing print and reformat it and repurpose it, uh, and you would have your mythical app that you can buy from the BlackBerry store and download to your BlackBerry and and use it. Or we could actually build into this a, a, a platform whereby people can get updates regularly, they can search, they can add notes, they can book, and so forth. And gradually we convinced them that the key to this was middleware. So middleware, in other words, interfacing with their own data, with third-party services, and providing the information out to the, to the end user. 
So we took open source components off the shelf. Uh, we used conventionally known middleware, open source middleware uh, platform, and we built a solution on that that would feed and manage information to and from the customer with their BlackBerry and them as a business providing that data. All right, so just for, for people to understand better, what is exactly middleware? And maybe you can mention one or two names for people to latch onto. Okay, middleware uh, is a, uh, a bit of software that sits on typically a server that uh, bridges between the user device, and, uh, as in a mobile phone or a browser, and the uh, supplier's data and the supplier's own processes. So it's typically in the middle between the end-user device and the background information. And what are some names in middleware that exist? Well, in this case, we chose the JBoss uh, middleware platform, which is an open-source middleware solution. It's uh, now part of Red Hat's um, portfolio of products. And it is the dominant um, middleware platform that is open source. So it's all Java, which again, oh, at the time, was entirely uh, open source um, and managed in the community. And we ensured that when we used JBoss, we stuck to the key components that are most widely used by the community. So the more people who use it, more often gets corrected and, and bugs are fixed, and it's a very stable product. Right, listen, I want to, Roland, talk about uh, open source a little bit because it's, let's say it's a vast topic uh, like big data. What, for you, is open source? How do you define open source? Open source is really anything that is... Um, available to anybody to have a look at. So open source doesn't necessarily mean free, and it doesn't necessarily mean non-proprietary. You can have a corporate entity develop uh, some intellectual property that they can then protect that intellectual property, but that it is entirely open and people can see it, and they can download it, and they can use it. They don't necessarily have the chance to use it for free commercially. Some open source agreements say, you can download it and do whatever you want to do with it personally, but if you make money out of it, then you need to enter into a license agreement with us. Right, so uh, is, this, is this basically being federated by a Creative Commons type of licensing? How does it work? Creative Commons is one of the types of licensing that's used uh, in open source. Creative Commons has typically been used for artistic works. Mm -hmm. um, so it's typically been used for, for text, for images. Mm -hmm. um, in the computer world, there are a whole raft of, uh, of open source licenses, BSD, GPL, all the different variations of those. Uh, interestingly, the two are getting closer together. We are now seeing more uh, technical projects covered by Creative Commons. You then get into the whole issue about copyleft as opposed to copyright. Copyleft being, here it is, no one else can hold it, but anybody can use it given whatever agreement's in place. And that's one of the key things. There is an argument that says copyright is bad. 
but without copyright, you don't have copy left. Mm -hmm. It is a scenario of saying, here is some information, I'm protecting it, but I'm protecting it for the greater good of people who want to access it. Mm -hmm. So no individual can actually grab hold of it and say, this is mine, you can't touch it, you can't see what's inside it. Right. So let's talk about uh, open source as a, uh, an opportunity for business. You know, I'm running a company, I've got a brand. Why on earth would I want to be interested in open source? Where, what are the, the, how would you map, if you will, the opportunities of using or being or doing open source? Uh, I can give two examples here. Um, Red Hat is uh, the first uh, billion-dollar open source organization. Um, we are um, a, a premier partner of Red Hat. We do a lot of work with Red Hat. They are the obvious people in the uh, IT open source uh, scenario area. Red Hat took uh, the core uh, Linux operating system and they put it through a lot of uh, quality control, a lot of checking, and they produced what they call their own Red Hat distribution. They've been through a number of variations and they've grown it substantially. Um, they then guarantee that product and they will provide support on that product. They go through the effort of testing it uh, on loads of different platforms. They have continuously got engineers from the big hardware companies working with them to make sure it's right. IBM, for instance, uh, have invested a billion dollars in open source development, and a large chunk of that has been spent by seconding their own engineers into Red Hat to make sure that the Red Hat products work correctly on IBM hardware and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, now, how do they make money out of this? Well, they give, effectively, their software away. So anybody can go and download community editions of their products. Their products are then supported. So uh, you can go and you can take out a support agreement with Red Hat for Red Hat Enterprise Linux or Red Hat Enterprise Virtualization or JBoss or any of the other products. And that support agreement means that you can get download patches from their upgrade servers. If you have a problem, you can ring them up mm -hmm. and they will help you. They guarantee that it will work in certain, uh, on the right hardware, in the right configurations. So it's basically it's like a freemium kind of thing. You download the very basics, and then as soon as you want to customize it, add on new things, they can provide, well, they guarantee the quality, and they'll provide service on top of that. that that's correct. But it's, they, quite often you find, especially with Red Hat, that they have a community stream and their commercial stream. So community stream of their core product, which is Red Hat Enterprise Linux, is called Fedora. And the Fedora project is typically three years ahead of their enterprise product. Mm -hmm. So they recently released Fedora 18, big excitement, lots of bells and whistles, all the changes. But from an enterprise perspective, it's unstable. It's not guaranteed to run. If it goes wrong, it's down to you and the community to fix. Right, I just want to, I want to break in on there, Roland. Uh, the bells and whistles and the hoopla and the excitement, uh, what community are we talking about? Because it's not a world that I know well. Um, Fedora is typically used by people who want to run Linux on their, on their, their t 
typically their desktop or laptop computer. There are a few people who run Fedora on their servers, but relatively few. It's people who are developing, who have an interest in this technology, who want to hack, want to contribute to it because they see this as the way forward. It's also used by people who do not want to enter a, a, a closed community. Right. So uh, this makes me, you, were, you mentioned the word hack, hacker, uh, and I, my mind starts leaping out to anonymous and, and other varieties of people in, the, in this nefarious world. To what extent is open source uh, a, um, a breeding ground for the hackers? And, and, I mean, is it one and the same, or how, how do you characterize the relationship? What is a hacker? Um, the world's most famous hacker is probably was uh, half of the foundation of, of Apple. He's a hacker in the sense that he will string together hardware and write software to work on it. Not a single intention ever of writing anything or doing anything malicious. So he will hack together a solution. Uh, I've worked with some remarkable hackers, uh, people who are able to do quite remarkable things. Um, the, uh, the, the, the colleague of mine who helped us come up with the Kuru brand is a great hardware and software hacker. Um, he's currently on the, uh, the BBC iPlayer team, and he's actually produced iPlayer for Amazon Kindle. You go, what? Uh, this is a, uh, a, a wonderful hack where he is taking the video stream and the closed caption um, sound, or the, the subtitles, mm -hmm. basically, from shows. Mm -hmm. And he is uh, recording this. He is doing image uh, calculations. So he's looking for changes in scenes, and he's looking at the, uh, the subtitles, at the changes in the speakers. And every time there's a scene change or there's a speaker change, he will automatically take a still out of the video and he'll put the bubbles, he'll put the speech in bubbles. So you can actually view an entire episode of something like BBC EastEnders, which is half an hour or 500 meg in video. He will distill that down to 10 meg of images and text. And, and, and that's done automatically? And that's done automatically. It's a great hack. Um, he's also hacked together a, um, a, a great uh, alarm clock. It looks like a bomb, but it's an alarm clock. Mm. And it's a great little hack that he'll mm. do together. The whole of the Raspberry Pi concept is going to try and encourage hackers. What's the, what's, what's, tell us about that. Um, the Raspberry Pi is um, probably the most exciting thing to have come out of 2012. It's a, uh, a, originally the plan was a, a $25 computer. It's a computer on a board. Uh, it's uh, a, effectively a, a, a British project. Great to be British here. Great originality. Um, where these guys have got together, they've uh, taken an ARM chip, they've built a board, and their original aim was to get these all manufactured in the UK, and they run on open uh, operating systems. So uh, the core operating system that they run is, is a Debian-based operating system, another Linux distribution. Um, and people are downloading software, they're writing their software. Go back to the days when we were at school, and uh, you know, suddenly out came the BBC Micro, and everybody was encouraged to do that, or the, the, the Sinclair Spectrum range is trying to get that emphasis back in. 
And for something that's so cheap that you can plug into a television or a computer monitor, just get any um, USB keyboard, plug it in. There is extension boards. There's something called the GERT board. Um, one of the team uh, has produced this I.O. board so that you can plug a GERT board onto the Raspberry Pi and then control anything you want almost. And the sky's nearly the limit. It's very exciting to see what people are doing. Robots, someone sent one into space underneath a weather balloon. It's very, very exciting. And is the Raspberry Pi... Uh uh, now, I mean, is it, is it seen life? Where, where are we on it? Uh, they've sold a million of these things, um, and they are used at home. My 10-year-old daughter uses a, a Raspberry Pi as a primary computing device, uh, does her homework on it, which kind of upsets her colleagues at school. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's a very exciting way forward. We are actually developing a, a, a bespoke uh, solution for one of our customers and the Raspberry Pi will be taking a feed off a web server going back to the middleware again and we'll be translating that feed into LEDs uh, so according to what goes out we will turn on different LEDs this is a, a solution that we will be rolling out on a global basis so there will be a, a Raspberry Pi that we've put code onto uh, in uh, 26 locations around the world that's brilliant. All right, you know, a little bit before in our conversation, we were talking about business opportunities. You know, how can a brand or a business uh, get into open source, or why would they want to use open source? And you mentioned the Red Hat's uh, way in a billion dollars using the Linux in the bottom. Can you give us another example that would be useful for us? Uh, a completely opposite example um, is uh, a company called River Simple. Uh, River Simple is. Uh, was set up by uh, a former colleague of mine, uh, a former school chum of both Inter and myself, uh, uh, a man called Hugo Spowers. And River Simple is set up to develop uh, an urban car. It's a hydrogen fuel cell powered car. And the whole framework behind the car is that it is an open source design. So why have they gone to an open source concept behind the car? If you look at all car manufacturers, and I know that you have a, a big background in the car industry, um, there are no major car manufacturers in existence today that were not in existence before the Second World War. So the great car manufacturers, one way or another, have been around for a long time. They have got a massive investment in plant, in engines, in their technology. They don't really want to move forward very fast. If they had wanted to adopt uh, an alternative power, e e the ecological requirements that we, as a, as a global um, uh, consumer, uh, are starting to clamor for, then they could have done it. You, you have to look at... Um, Chevrolet, who produce uh, electronic vehicles to great demand that are leased out. At the end of their lease, they were all destroyed. They didn't want to sell them out or let anybody else have them um, because it's not in their interests. Um, so by going open source, River Simple, who are, as a company are developing this vehicle, who are partnered with a, a number of other suppliers, um, by going open source, they are going to say, here is our design. Anybody can look at our design. We're being completely transparent with what it is. And we want 
other companies, other smaller companies, to come into agreements with us to take our open source um, designs and build their own cars. And the idea is to foster other manufacturers around the world so that they too will take the open source designs, they will contribute to those designs, make them better. They will be taking common components. So fuel cells are not cheap things to develop. So if a lot of smaller companies around the world are all producing cars based to the, on the same basic design using the same fuel cell, then that will drive up the demand for the fuel cell, drive up reliability of the fuel cell, and drive down the cost. So it has a real um, prospect by going open source of enabling car manufacturing, the approach to cars, to actually change. Uh, I went with um, the River Simple team into uh, a very well-known uh, um, finance house, and their automotive team see alternative vehicles on a daily basis. And I was so proud when the head of the automotive team there said, this is the only viable alternative vehicle proposal mm. that he has seen in years. That's brilliant. All right, so... Uh, when you, you have 20, 20 or so people, you said, in your, in your company, what, uh, what sort of clients do you have? And, and more specifically, who would you like as a, as a new client? If you're looking out there, what, what in your mind, the Roland Whitehead, what are, you, what are you looking for for 2013? Um, we have a huge expansion going uh, for, for 2013. It's very exciting at the moment because we have put into a, 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 a push on reselling uh, other people's open source products in providing services around those as well as in our core development. Um, we have one customer that is uh, sig the significant part of our development exercise and that is the uh, Fine Art and Collectors Auctioneers Bonhams. So they are very large for us. Uh, we continue to develop all of their solutions. We continue to be pioneering innovation within their organization. But on the resale side, uh, we are now one of three premier Red Hat partners. Uh, we are potentially the most resourced um, partner of Red Hat uh, in the UK, if not Europe. Um, and we uh, are also in the same position with uh, Enterprise DB, which is a, uh, a Postgres company, a database, open source database company, uh, and therefore competing directly with the likes of Oracle and so forth. Um, we are the lead partner of uh, a, a company called Puppet Labs, which is uh, a, a company that produces both a community and an enterprise solution for managing the configuration of servers. So there are lots of great opportunities in there. Um, Red Hat has one a virtualization platform, which is literally a tenth of the price of the uh, proprietary competition. It offers 90% of the functionality. That 10% um, that's not there is very rarely used, and we have gone out of our way to 
add our own uh, level of services and scripts and expertise to minimize the impact and maximize what people can do with it. So all of a sudden, um, we are providing services to uh, completely different organizations from uh, major global banks through to academic institutions. Um, huge, you know, many thousands of employees. Yesterday we were talking to a, a, a startup web service company um, employing a handful of people. So it's a very exciting times for us, great opportunities coming up for this year. Beautiful. Roland, how can someone uh, track you, follow you, uh, get in touch with you? Um, the, the best way of tracking us is through our website. It's kuru.com. Um, where we try and put up what we're doing and where we're going and we uh, have a program of putting up our own insights into where we're going. And from there you'll get onto our Twitter feeds and so forth. Um, I'm not a great advocate of closed um, uh, communities, uh, as you've probably picked up yep. from here. Um, I'm uh, steer fairly well away from uh, systems who, where I have no control of what goes in and where I know that they themselves are using my content to generate value for themselves. So I'm afraid you won't find very much about us on Facebook, um, but uh, that's an exciting area where people are getting into um, but uh, you will find the majority of information about us on our website. That's great. Well, if uh, anyone is out there who would like to know or is interested in using uh, some interesting, innovative uh, software at affordable prices and needs some help uh, with making that solution work for their business, I'm going to say go, go find Kuru and uh, go visit uh, with Roland Whitehead. Roland, thanks for coming on the show and talking to us about open source in a world I don't know much about. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue radio show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter. If you like the show, please don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or tweet it out. And if you speak French, you can find my other French language interviews on minterdial.fr. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.